Welcome or welcome back to The Bicultural Identity, a podcast created from the experiences unique to young Asians raised in a Western society. We're your hosts, Connie and Jenny. Our weekly episodes contain conversations around social issues, pop culture topics, and nostalgic childhood memories that are significant in our lives as second-gen Canadians. Connie, introduce the topic. Alrighty. <laughs> if you're an Asian American or an Asian Canadian, you're probably familiar with this record label slash mass media company called 88 Rising. It's gotten pretty popular over the years and it really brings a sense of community to second gen Asians living in a Western society, just like what our podcast is about. So we thought it would be really interesting to talk about this phenomenon that is 88 Rising. And the artists under 88 Rising include August 8, Don Krez, Dumbfounded, Higher Brothers, Joji, Keith Ape, Lexi Leo, Jackson Wang, Nikki, Rich Brian, and Stephanie Poetry. I always thought it was Dumbfounded. Am I wrong? It is Dumbfounded. Like, okay. it's spelled like that. I think I just said it really fast. No, Oops. all good. <laughs> yeah. Don't come for me, guys, if you're a big Dumbfounded fan. Yep. It was a slip of the tongue. I would say that the core group from 88 Rising that's continuously boosted and obviously, like, more mainstream um, among, like, Asian Americans and Asian Canadians, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, are, like... Joji, Rich Brian, and Nikki are probably the ones that you've heard more frequently recently. And Jackson Wang, I guess. I didn't even know he joined until we were doing research. Yeah, I just thought he was like a big collaborator on the second album. Mm-hmm. I, I know that like uh, 100 Ways, like his new song was released through 88 Rising, but I didn't know that they like full on signed him. So that's kind of exciting. I thought Chris Wu might have been under 88 Rising for like his American ventures, mm-hmm. but I guess I'm wrong. Yeah, it looks like he's not. Okay. I don't know the specifics, but um, he did like... I think he just basically was part of their venture, but not officially. Um, but overall, today we wanted to discuss how culturally significant 88 Rising has been for the entertainment and industry as a whole, both in America and just like completely globally. And we'll talk about the global aspect later. But really, we're going to start with how they built up their presence, because once we start talking about like all they've accomplished as of today, you'll wonder how they managed to scale so quickly into almost mainstream media. And then we'll also just go over, I feel like I'm summarizing an essay right now. (laughs) We'll go over what they're planning in the future and what it means for, I guess, like representation from all diversities, diversities, anyway, yeah, representation as a whole in America. We'll say America in a loose term, but I think it's just really like the influence of all global entertainment. We can start off by talking about how Rich Brian became famous because I remember that very clearly in my mind. (laughs) I think when I heard like between his first internet fame and his second internet fame, I didn't even piece them together for a bit. Me too! You know what's funny? So basically, this was halfway through university because I think this happened in 2016. Some of my good friends sent me this viral video of this random Asian kid microwaving bread. A phenomenal guys, short film. You guys definitely have to know this video, right? Like, it's a classic. <laughs> it will be linked in our show notes because everyone should watch it. And then I remember like a week or two later, the same friends sent the same links to me and were like, isn't this the bread guy? <laughs> and it was That Stick, his music video for Wait, That Stick. that was only a few weeks apart? No way. No, I just searched it up before this podcast just to confirm. So I think one was released like February 8th or something at the very beginning of February. And the That Stick was released at the end of February. What the? I thought they were so far apart. I never knew. <laughs> no. But um, basically, I think 
people all had that realization of Rich Brian being the same person as the microwave person. And his original stage name was Rich Chiga before he rebranded based on like just respecting the community that like that word comes from. But more on that later, I think for the most part, it was just almost adding to the hype because we never realized that a kid microwaving bread on YouTube could have such good flow, you know? Like his rapping, like Dot Stick was good. Yeah, like obviously I think he improved so much since then, but everyone's reactions when we saw that music video, because it looked like it was for jokes, we were like, what the heck? This guy actually has flow. Like he can rap. <laughs> mm-hmm. To our knowledge, the only other person with a similar backstory, but we could be very wrong because there's like so many people on the label, but Joji is another iconic one for his transformation and complete rebranding. All I remember was in high school or at some point in my life, my friends thought it'd be funny because I was like more of like a wholesome child. They showed me a <laughs> filthy, still a wholesome child. Let filthy me say that, Frank video and I was so deeply disturbed by what's his name like the pink man or whatever pink guy the pink, pink guy. guy yeah i literally listened to joji's music for a year before i figured out they were the same person actually he was trending like earlier this year on twitter because people just associated the two and i was like guys <laughs> what <laughs> yeah so it takes a while for people to connect the dots i think it's like shows the potential though that i guess like when you're this is almost going straight into analysis, but like I think when you're an Asian kid who wants to be popular on mainstream media, the only route for comedy you have is kind of like, or the only route for fame you have is kind of just like foolish comedy and like really out there things that people will expect stereotypically, like they'll expect Japanese people to do or they'll expect like internet meme kids to do. Mm-hmm. But they have, like, even by pinpointing that specific point of comedy and being viral first in that sense, I think it showed that they had like the broader star potential. They had the personality. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess Connie also did a little research on exactly where 88 Rising came from and when where their founder, who's like a big representative of the company, is like Sean... Sean Miyashiro. Miyashiro, yeah. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Yeah, I think he was originally an employee at Vice. Mm-hmm. And then he just got this idea one day that hit him, like, why don't I start my own, like, company for Asian entertainers? Actually, I think he said it kind of happened naturally because he's Asian himself. And then the, like, talented artists that, like, surround him are naturally just Asian because they're, like, yeah, like the, the people he hangs out I guess with. he just, like, merged into the underground, like, Asian hip-hop community. Mm-hmm. His first client was actually Dumbfounded. Did I pronounce that right this time? <laughs> And um, he is a very, very smart guy. There was a Business Insider article about him and explained a lot about his initial strategies to make 88 Rising big. The initial hype was based on a lot of his good ideas. So, for example, after he signed Keith Ape, he realized like how big Ichima was. So he made a remix <laughs> with like ASAP Ferg and a lot of pretty well-known rappers. And that just like boosted Keith Ape. Oh, Dumbfound Dead was also in that. So that like promoted him a bit too and then he found rich brian and obviously this guy was an internet phenomenon at the time so he said oh perfect one of the first things he did for rich brian was to get a group of famous rappers together that included like 21 savage designer um who else like gold link a lot of those well-known rappers to react to that sticks music video and like every Asian, I know, watch that music, uh, watch that reaction video. My timeline is getting distorted because I'm probably just like confused about my past few years. Designer was already popular before Rich Ryan? Jenny, I think you're just um, 
old now no, that all I, your you know years what? are blending it's together. Brian feels like a friend, and I just feel like he's been in my life forever with his music, okay? I think Designer was, like, famous in 2015, 16 already with Panda, and then, like, 2016 is when the reaction video came out. Mm, okay. Yep. And moving on from exactly what we were talking about with the YouTube video, I think it shows exactly why 88 Rising was also set for success. Because, like, even showing Dat Stick to this roster of legitimate American rappers, you know, people from the Black community that founded this, like, artistry, shows, like, they're not shying away from the fact that this is where their music came from. This is where, like, the songs originated from. And they're, like, showing the ori- like the actual representatives of the culture. Exactly. And having them evaluate it. Mm-hmm. White rappers or Asian rappers might feel ashamed to include Black people in the conversation because they feel like they're almost, like, culturally appropriating their yeah. music. But, like, it's like an acknowledgement of, yes, this is your art and we'd like to partake in it. If you do your proper research, it's not cultural appropriation, it's cultural appreciation. Mm -hmm. So maybe if you're too scared to, you know, show your work to Black people to, like, evaluate them, maybe you are appropriating. Yeah, it's just like there's, like, some sort of ingrained deeper problem there in your mindset, I guess. I think this transitions well into the Chris Wu topic because an article Jenny was showing me explained how Sean's tactic to get Chris Wu fame in America was very inclusive of the Black community. Mm -hmm. So now we're talking about, like, we're moving on to kind of our second topic, which is how they built up their fame to where they are today and, like, all their accomplishments to date. With Chris Wu, apparently Sean Miyashiro said, I don't want to get you on shows like Good Morning America. I want to get you on actual American shows or media outlets that have to do with hip-hop culture and have readers that are avid followers of hip-hop culture because you need to be taken seriously in that way. So he was, like, promoting Chris Wu and, like, Complex and XXL, all those hip-hop media outlets. I almost see similarities with... um, This is a funny comparison, but with BTS and how their initial... Um, before they were famous, they were sent to America in that American show, American Hustle, Hustle Life. Life. We never to, speak of it, though. Yeah, but they had to literally live in, like, Black neighborhoods and collaborate with Black artists and learn hip-hop from them. And I think that experience alone developed a level of maturity that artists in Asia don't have. Yep, because artists in Asia failed to usually acknowledge where they're stealing their musical influences from. Mm-hmm. And We've now you see, like, American fans in of BTS are, like there's a large population that are Black Americans, right? Yeah. K-pop in general attracts a lot of Black Americans as their audience because the music does incorporate a lot of hip-hop, but I think BTS itself appeals more to the Black population just because they have shown more respect for their culture in general. Mm -hmm. So you're right, yeah. And that's why, as like an Asian-Canadian or Asian-North American, whatever, I feel more of an appeal towards supporting 88 Rising because they're the right people to choose to represent your culture. And this is where... I also wanted to bring in the topic, um, sort of jumping around a little bit from our, like our show notes, but um, it reminds me of how like Aquafina recently has been gaining a lot of hype in terms of her, um, her fame as an Asian American actress, mm-hmm. and I would compare this as she's like a very open person. She's a comedian that talks about social issues and doesn't like try to sugarcoat her reputation, and she started off initially as a rapper as well. I think it's just out of all the cast of Crazy Rich Asians, which was the probably the biggest release of um, like Asian American representation in media, she's the actress who has thrived the most. 
mm-hmm. because she was in the farewell after which yeah. is also a really good movie because she kind of chose to like i would say that um other other people in crazy rich asians were more like um on the american side of asian american but like aquafina continued in interviews to bring people to her roots and to be proud of it which is something we don't get enough of like as soon as an asian person is famous they feel the need to like distance themselves from their roots yeah and it just shows a lot on why she continues to be someone that our population looks up to, if that makes sense. Yeah. And that's I the same with 88 Rising. Woman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is the same with 88 Rising. And you can tell that simply from Rich Brian's actions of changing his name, which we talked a little bit about before. But his name change, like, although it was already like a bad idea to call himself Rich Chiga in the first place, everyone grows from that point, right? I don't want to say that saying the N-word was right because that is a completely terrible thing to do, especially in this day and age. But sometimes when you're young, you don't really think about the amount of oppression that lies behind a certain term. You just think of it as, you know, I'm calling my bros this to seem more friendly. So I think it was a really big step in maturing for Brian to be able to fess up to his mistakes and officially change his name to Rich Brian. I don't even think that he was excessively called out for his name i think it was one day the announcement was just made yep it's really funny because i just watched back the rappers react to rich brian for you know some good memories before we recorded this episode and all the rappers or like at least most of them i think it was all they were all black in that video and when brian's old name popped up a lot of them reacted to it in a positive way almost like they laughed at it and they're like yo that's dope or like oh that's really funny like it's a funny way of saying the n-word or something i almost see it as like a combination and i think he might have explained this before but i could just be making this up it was kind of a combination between the derogatory terms for black people and for chinese people Mm -hmm. even though he's like indonesian maybe he's like ethnically chinese i don't know I think, like, moving on from that to 88 Rising just made so many very clever strategic moves because, like, one thing I did want to bring to light is that Sean is clearly, like, a a CEO that knows exactly what his mission is of inclusivity for all cultures. They were very clear about their stance during the Black Lives Matter movement always, and I think it originates from, like, a whole underlying factor that we feel uncomfortable talking about most of the time as an Asian community because he's half Korean and half Japanese. And there's something that all Asians will understand, but we don't talk about enough, which is that when you're from China, Korea, or Japan, your entire focus on Asia is in those three countries and like East Asia as a whole. Oh, for sure. And there's not enough focus on the rest of the regions, but he's always opened up his like company to Indonesian creators Mm -hmm. to like, and I think it's even a big move, big move on his part to be open to Chinese creators. Yeah. Because that's a little bit controversial sometimes. So I think that trickles into how he continued to make strategic moves on global involvement, being true global involvement and how, like, he continued to ventures with K-pop stars like CL and, like, Jackson Wang. Yeah. And I think that's, like, a thing worthy of applause because when you actually grow up as an East Asian, you don't see Asia outside of your brain, like, the rest of Asia. Like, it's just not in your mind. It reminds me of how racist East Asians are to Southeast Asians because, like, I know in the K-pop world, at least, there's a lot of racism towards, like, Thai idols, let's say, like, mm-hmm. Lisa from Blackpink. There's just a huge superiority complex that comes from 
East Asians, and I'm so glad to see that they gave s- such a big voice to artists like Rich Brian and Nikki. Yeah. I think it's really cool that 88 Rising doesn't just focus on music, but also like hip hop culture as a whole. So they got involved in First We Feast, like with their Feast Mansion series. Mm-hmm. I think they basically expanded into an entire venture, which is why um, Connie was saying before we recorded that Sean basically doesn't know how to categorize his company anymore. Yeah, he's like, I don't even know how to describe my own company. I'd say they literally just hustle for all Asian creators and like they're trying to expand beyond Asian even. Uh-huh. Um, and with First We, First we Feast, it shows like, with First We Feast, I think that channel grew so largely because of the Amazian, Asian American. Amazing. Amazing. No. <laughs> uh, the, we are all Amazians, <laughs> guys. The, um, hey, American Asians. Anyway. Wow, brilliant. <laughs> Everyone start using that term right now. But yeah, like the Asian American audience chose to trust in Firstly Feast because they invested so much of their video resources to 88 Rising artists. Like they have special segments constantly with Joji and with Rich Brian and with Nikki. And I don't even know, are they like the same venture? They're not, right? What? Like Firstly Feast and Sean Evans and everyone. I always thought it was like a larger company or something, but isn't it all under complex? Am I like Oh you're you might be right on that one. Is an online food culture magazine. The site co produces hot ones. The blog was an off branch of complex magazine. Okay. Yeah, so like by including the Asian American hip hop scene in their conversation, they really branded themselves well. And it was like a two-way relationship almost. And that's what we need more of. Like, it's proper execution of allyship. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Like, I think the viewers of First We Feast, a lot of them are not Asian, right? They're just like hardcore hip-hop fans or hip-hop culture fans. And Rich Brian and Joji and Nikki and whoever appears on uh, Feast Mansion once in a while, they include a lot of like Asian foods on there. And it's really cool that they're spreading that culture on that platform Mm -hmm. that might originally like not really expose Asian culture. Yeah. Overall this just goes into like our overarching theme of how 88 Rising is influencing all of like global art, not just music. Like now we're going into food and we're going into like online videos and everything. Mm-hmm. But you know what frustrates me a bit? When I talk to a lot of non Asian people around me who are really into hip hop culture and I bring up Rich Brian or Joji names that I think that they might know just because they're pretty big in the hip-hop world now. I realize how still they're not that known outside of the Asian-American community. Yep. Um, and I think that's, like, these people avidly watch First We Feast and Complex videos. Huh? Yeah. So I'm wondering if, like, the thumbnails still, like, deter people away because, you know, they're Asian. And people seem to think, like, maybe Asians aren't cool enough or don't have enough swag to be, like, good hip-hop yeah. artists. So I think there's still prejudice that prevents 88 Rising from getting the amount of attention they deserve? I almost see it as, like, yes, I think it's really hard because I've also recommended 88 Rising artists to my coworkers before and they've never heard of them. But at the same time, there's examples of how Joji has gone double platinum and how, let me just pull out a stat real quick, but 88 Rising has had 7 billion streams and 3 billion video views total since 20, like, as of 2019. And it shows that there's power in diverse entertainment because even if like mainstream people don't see it, you're clearly appealing to a large amount of the audience. And hopefully it, it speaks for something when mainstream people start evaluating who yeah, they include. But I think that's partially because 
the population that consumes mainstream hip hop these days, a large portion of them are Asian Americans. Yeah. Like, well, that's also because before Asian hip hop became a thing, I would say black hip hop and like the original black art was the only thing that other second gen Americans could relate to on a minority standpoint. Yeah, I see. Yeah. But it's a good point. Like, nobody from work knows them either. Like, none yeah, of my I friends know them. People would, like, be more open to, mm-hmm. like, at least trying out music from other parts of the world. If or it makes you feel better, potential in TikTok. <laughs> That's so true. Yeah, like, what is it called? I don't know. There's also, like, the Zico song. Or, like, um, the Japanese city pop song. Yeah. There's a lot of good songs coming out from TikTok. Mm-hmm. It's just a little frustrating sometimes when 88 Rising is literally, like, mostly rapping in English. Mm-hmm. Actually, like, pretty much entirely. Before, people who are a little bit more close-minded would say, I don't want to listen to music I don't understand. But now it's like, what excuse do you have? Because you can clearly understand this music now. Is it just because an Asian face produced and sang it and rapped it? But this continues to go into how small movements like this, how 88 Rising is paving a future for how we can view the reception from early participants in this conversation. And this brings us to like one point we had also, how 88 Rising is a partner with guests. Like they are the face of guests and they've advertised for a lot of their clothing lines. Yeah. And the guest brand partnership director literally said they chose 88 Rising because they create a big sense of pride for a community that is not often represented on like a global scale. It's the same thing with any company that chooses brand ambassadors before the conversation is at its peak because every company can be like, hey, we love gay people. Hey, we love black people when it's a conversation topic, but it's hard to be the first one in the middle of nowhere being like, hey, maybe we should talk about the Asian community. Dang, Jenny just called out pretty much every company that talked about Black Lives Matter. <laughs> I mean, at least they made, at least he said something. Not every company said everything, mm-hmm. you know? Ben and Jerry's is superior. <laughs> <laughs> wow. We should have gone sponsored. That was a nice plug for them. But I think one topic that we want to talk about in current state is like what full potential has not been reached yet and what shows that we haven't fully like entered mainstream and being appreciated by ma- the masses, which is what we've been talking about. And a good example of that is the reception to The Sailor by Rich Brian, which is his most recent album. In our opinions, The Sailor was one of the best albums released in 2019. Honestly, deserved a Grammy nomination. Yeah, That's just 100% what we think. should have been up in the nominations list and I gotten thought, acknowledgments. Yeah, the production was insane. I'd say the lyrics on certain songs can use some work, but there's also like really meaningful songs like Yellow and Kids. So I think those were really, really well done. I think it was just such like, it says something that I think one of the producers on the album also worked on Kendrick's Dam. And it shows, like the production quality clearly shows in that album. Mm -hmm. And by 2019, I was using the site called Rate Your Music. One of my friends and I, we frequently review albums or like we listen to full albums to increase our music library and like we have fun rating it and stuff and he uses this site called rate your music so i started too i'd say it compares a lot to like imdb but for albums and singles and stuff i don't know how popular it is but there's like thousands and thousands of ratings for the popular albums so i think it's pretty good to go off by people on the site are genuinely like more 
critical. You know how critiquing things is. <laughs> Anyone who rates things, and yeah. I rate things. Okay, you think that your negative opinion matters, and so it's really like if something is above a three out of five on this site, it's really worth listening to, in my opinion. And Rich Brian's is three point one one out of five. Ooh, barely made it. Good job, but Brian. It's like really like <laughs> decent for people reviewing on the site, and like I don't know. I just think that. In general, the reception for anyone who actually tried listening to this album is good.、Mm-hmm. And this album was so good, I was almost like in tears when Rich Brian announced that he was going to Toronto for a stop in his tour. I wish I could have went. <laughs> I、I'm、ended、so、up、jealous. going with like Connie's best friend, actually, which is the funniest part. You、um, guys are the true traders. Yes, it was so interesting because that's like the first time where I my eyes were open to how. Eighty Eight Rising is achieving their goal of being a global media company because it was like almost like joke like it was so joke worthy because there's us Asian Canadians lining up and he like his venue was a club for some reason、um, which I don't frequent so it was like interesting to go but it was literally like us lining up outside after taking an Uber or taking like the bus to the venue and. All these international students peeling in into the parking lots with their like crazy sports cars, and I was like, "Oh, like I didn't actually know that international international people also Wait, know love this music." But if you look on like their Instagrams and stuff, people like from China, like Liu Yuxing, like this popular girl idol, follows them, and I think everyone in the Asian hip hop community are somehow just very aware that they exist. So I think Sean's mission is like so obviously successful. And how was the concert, Jenny? I'm just setting myself up for more pain right now. <laughs> it but- was incredible. August eight opened, and I've never really like listened to his music before, so it's like super cool to enjoy it. And then it's almost like I've been to a few other hip hop shows, like during festivals. Like we went to Chance, and like I guess Kanye, but Kanye's too mass. Media、mm-hmm. now to like reflect on that, but we went to go see Chance at a music festival before he released Coloring Book, so the c- crowd was like super small. He was playing on a smaller stage, and that was like the same feeling that I got from a Rich Brian concert, where it's like you're in a safe space, and、mm-hmm. everyone around you like gets you, and you're just all having a good time. Like nothing rowdy happened. People were just all standing because it was like only general admission. Everyone was just standing and like chilling together because Ryan, like oh, Brian, has songs like to chill to. Yeah, it was great, and he was like. I felt like, cause he's younger than both of us. That's crazy to think about. Damn、mm-hmm. it! And he, because it was like a small venue. Or, yeah. Go ahead first. No, no. no. I was just、you. gonna say congrats, Brian, for getting yourself a girl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I literally like since it was general admission in a small venue, you could see so clearly, and I just had this motherly. Oh、right. my goodness, Jenny! He was just up there. His rapping was flawless. Like the music was lit, and I was like, "Brian, you did it! I am so proud of you." It was、Only、super funny. Jenny would cry to like songs that are like hella sexual. I don't listen to lyrics. I'm sorry. <laughs> maybe, maybe you cry to like proper songs like Yellow. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I think you mentioned that Brian performed these nights in that concert, right? Yep. So that just reminds me of how um. Eighty Eight Rising is doing a good job. Also, not only isolating themselves to this Asian American image, but also like giving K-pop artists a voice. I brought that up with CL and Jackson and Chris and everything. But yeah, continue. I think it's really cool because I have to say, like K-pop, although we really really like it, a lot of times there's really good music that gets released. But 
a lot of the hardcore hip-hop fans here, whether they're Asian or non-Asian, have a prejudice towards K-pop. They're under the impression that K-pop is tacky and it's just like bad pop music from Korea. So people who have this prejudice really aren't going to check out any K-pop music anytime soon. A lot of these hip-hop fans, if they find a K-pop artist through 88 Rising's collaborations, they might realize, oh, maybe these K-pop artists are talented and actually produce some dope music. So that can help in turn to reduce all those prejudices towards K-pop and actually expose Korean entertainment to this population that was perhaps a little unwilling to delve into this realm of music. Yeah. But we're running out of time super fast and we have a whole other category to tackle, which is what we see the future of 88 Rising and their entire movement and influence being for um, Asian entertainment in the long run. And I wanted to start this off without any 88 Rising mentions, but it leads kind of back to like Aquafina and the topic on her rising fame and support with the Asian American community. It's like movies like The Farewell and Tiger Tail that I have yet to watch that appeals solely to an Asian English-speaking audience that is so unique because I think before 88 Rising signed Rich Brian and Joji onto their label and I started listening to music like that, I didn't realize that I could have entertainment tailored to me. And I won't credit 88 Rising for all of this in the film industry, but I think that their influence in the music industry made American Asians and Canadian Asians and like Western Asians aware that they could demand content that was made for them. Totally, totally agree. With Crazy Rich Asians, which is another example of a film that gave Asian Americans a voice, that movie isn't even anything like amazing concept and plot wise, but I cried like a baby watching it just because I've never seen my circumstances, Mm -hmm. my cultural circumstances being displayed on the big screen so that's like something that's the same thing with like the farewell because I think like in white culture sometimes you show a lot of the stories of like being independent from your family going your own way following your own dreams not having to listen to anyone I think it's so amazing to see films like the farewell that shows you how strong family bonds can be it's like something that like really relates to like immigrant families I think Yeah, I almost see Crazy Rich Asians as the cusp, like also an influencing factor on how we got Tiger Tail and The Farewell and all of their movies, because there have 100% been indie movies made before that appeal to the Asian American audience, but they just haven't gotten enough hype. Mm -hmm, But with like a blockbuster movie like Crazy Rich Asians, where you deal with Asian heritage, but in just about the cheesiest and most obvious way possible, (laughs) kind of like Disney Channel vibes, you know, Um, it made these Asian entertainers get like some spotlight and then it allowed them to start creating better projects later on it made me so happy actually yesterday i was scrolling through netflix because crazy rich asians just came on netflix canada and it was trending like number three on netflix i was like damn this means like not only asians are watching this movie Mm -hmm. but back to the point it's just like idiot rising showed me that i could actually ask for creators that look like me and did quality things thank you idiot rising Let's just like move on by quickly reading through these three points. Like we'll take turns just like narrating them and then we can talk about them as a whole. But this is like what 88 Rising has talked about for their future ventures. And the first one is they said that later this year they will be debuting their own channel on Sirius XM. And it's going to be the first Asian radio channel in all of North America or first major channel, I guess. Mm hmm. Another thing they were planning on doing, but now it actually just happened recently. They prepared this 
online festival streaming on Twitter that was called Asia Rising Forever, and it featured like Asian talent from all around the world. There was like K-pop stars, there's their own artists, and like even more artists that like I didn't know about. Mm-hmm. Continuing off like the whole global outreach, they always had the store called the Night Market, which is their online kind of like e-commerce site where they sell a lot of merchandise and just like general cute clothes and. I think they're relaunching it or they're planning on relaunching it completely and it's been known to always collaborate with like a lot of very niche artists like Japanese illustrators and they're really like taking this chance or Sean says he's taking this chance to bring Asian artisans around and he's not like once again he's not just including like Japan, Korea, China he's including crafts like he wants to bring in people from Laos to make like soap bars and stuff or like people who make soap bars and don't get enough sales they're really going for the outreach of local businesses in Asia that don't get enough credit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's your takeaway from their future steps then, Connie? I think their future ventures just really show how Idiot Rising is trying to tell the world that Asians can become big in any type of media they want to. Obviously, it was a big discussion topic right before Crazy Rich Asians is about to come out that Asians really aren't represented by Western media at all because they hardly exist in the entertainment industry, actually. Um, so just 88 Rising, expanding it to like even radio is crazy to me. And um, how they did a whole quarantine concert just to like connect all the Asians in the world and anyone else who wants to appreciate Asian culture is just really globalizing Asian music. Mm-hmm. It's like opening, I can see what you're saying, it's like opening up the conversation mm-hmm. on Asian representation, not just to America. It's like... The Asian community has been weak historically. Yes. And we finally like can unify a bit in the small 88 Rising community. It's largely also that a lot of Asian children who are interested in the entertainment industry find themselves like, obviously, strict parents will have a harder time letting you to pursue those kind of dreams. But like also the fact that there's just not many faces in mainstream media to like look up to mm-hmm. for these children to even think that it's possible for them to succeed in that industry. So I think companies like 88 Rising are giving children like this hope. Yeah. I I just overall like my thoughts then leading off of that is that like I've always said and I've told this to Connie like as we were preparing this but like Sean scares me a lot. Like I've seen <laughs> a lot of content. Yeah, I've seen a lot of content with him in it and him talking about his whole like concept and he is like extremely intelligent because 88 Rising as a starting label was almost like an opportunity to generate pop culture influence and have artists that young people listen to on their side before they started pushing for general Asian inclusion in like a global scale. Mm -hmm. So he's using music as a way to, I don't even know how to describe it, like do work that the United Nations should be doing, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Call, Call people out. But no, it's like, it's like going back to what Connie said, I had the same thought of how it's opening up like venues for Asian creators because like even thinking years out into the future what if this podcast is like big and still around and we can get signed to 88 (laughs) rising audio right like it's something that we wouldn't have thought of before like before it was like if i i've had like we've talked about this i've tried youtube before i'm not very (laughs) committed to it but i'm thinking back to like when i actually tried it in first university if my channel took off i'd probably have to sign to a management company that doesn't value or doesn't understand creators like me and the messages we're trying to spread and you're dealing with like the white corporate side yep. that wants cookie cutter versions of what they view Asians like in entertainment. Ah, uh, so like you know? submissive, the side characters. Yes. 
So hopefully, like, as 88 Rising's influence grows and their power grows, other people from, like, like anywhere, like, Asian, like, even, like, European can be underhyped in America, like, Indian, Middle Eastern, like, I hope that all these people, and, like, African, because to be honest, like, Black Americans and Africans, very, very different. Yeah. They always get meshed together. I'm hoping that more of these people feel inspired to start their ventures, you know? Speak it into existence, Jenny. Yes. Someone sign us. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, I'm oh, scared yeah, of you. Oh, yeah, take on our podcast. But I'm really scared of you. <laughs> <laughs> Wrapping up, Connie's trying to think of a recommendation last minute, so I'll just summarize everything <laughs> we've really said today. Pro- like, wow, I'm a procrastinator. Yes. <laughs> 88 Rising is a company that was really largely built off of the definition of what a vision statement would be on like the ideal future and by signing all these underrated authentic Asian creators actually they've been able to build this up into like a huge hugely influential organization in the Asian community globally and I think it's really exciting to see what this means for all creators in the future Well put, and thanks for buying me time, Jenny. Yes. I'm ready now. Okay. (laughs) My recommendation of the week is a currently ongoing drama, so don't hate me if it suddenly goes downhill, okay? It's only, like, what, uh, six episodes in, I think? Wow. So, like, please don't hate me if somehow this drama does a whole 180 and becomes crappy. What is it, and what is it about? I don't think it's a surprise anyone that it's it's okay to not be okay it's a korean drama so if you don't watch those then they'll be surprised you know (laughs) just not to be rude i I think it's like on social media a lot these Mm, days okay i've never i've never seen it (laughs) social media is tailored constantly sometimes has phases where she's not really into k K dramas (laughs) as much so this drama is about a caregiver in a psychiatric hospital and the other main character is a girl who suffers from antisocial personality disorder. So it's like a drama that's about healing wounds from like traumatic past and also like talking about mental health because it's set around like a psychiatric hospital. And I think this drama is really, really, really important, especially in Asia right now. It's a mind-blowing topic to to write about in Asia. And from what I've heard, like I haven't watched it, but Connie's like said it's accurately portrayed. It's really accurately portrayed. Or, like, still dramatized, obviously, because it's a Korean drama. But, like, I think it's really bringing important topics to the forefront, especially for Asia, because it's still so stigmatized to talk about mental health, let alone these kind of mental health disorders. It's already progress enough that they're actually diagnosing their characters with, like, actual mental health problems. Like, they're not all just saying this person has, like, what's the typical ones that people tend to pin down? Like, Down syndrome, or they have autism, and you're like, okay... We get it. That's your perception of mental health issues. I was going to say that, like, already there's stigma behind, like, the mental health disorders that might be less severe, like anxiety and depression. Like, those are disorders you can treat by therapy. But in a psychiatric hospital, you see severe mental health disorders like schizophrenia and um, antisocial personality disorder or, like, things that genuinely like people see as being messed up like they'll actually think you're a bad human being because you have those Mm -hmm. disorders it's such like a touchy subject because especially the main girl she has antisocial personality disorder which basically means she's what people like to call a psychopath which isn't a very nice term but these are people who don't they can't help it they just don't have empathy for others that's not how their brain works 
and it's like such a controversial topic to take on in a country that is less accepting of mental health. In a general entertainment of drama perspective, the premise of this show being a romance involving someone who can't feel empathy is already spicy. Yep, it's very <laughs> Like, how spicy. will they make that work? Very. Uh, I don't know either, okay, Johnny? It's six episodes in, but I'm invested. And I already cried several times based on how they portrayed mental illnesses. So, bravo. I know that ratings have gone down in Korea at certain points because people seem to have problems with this drama, but I'm just going to come right out and say that if you have problems with the drama, you need to reevaluate yourself. Go watch It's Okay. To not be okay. Okay, it's okay to not be okay. And like, total side note, has nothing to do with the depth of this drama, but both the leads are beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. People love watching it, I think. Okay, conclude us, Connie. We're going over time. Je m'excuse. I will conclude c'est, c'est correct official c'est, c'est d'accord outro. c'est correct okay c'est it's fine i'm good it's both can work crop, can you crop that out nope <laughs> <laughs> anyways official outro thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed our discussion on this week's topic to hear more you can subscribe to the bicultural identity on apple podcast spotify wherever you get your podcasts from while you're at it we would also greatly appreciate any reviews on itunes or simply sharing our podcast with your family and friends But of course, no pressure. As well, any opinions and experiences discussed are solely based on our own experiences as second gens. And we invite you to share your thoughts on our blog, thebiculturalidentity.wordpress.com, where you can also find our individual episodes and supporting show notes. Thanks again for listening, and be sure to tune in next Monday for our very next episode. See you then!